Hey everybody, it's Rajesh here. And Tane here. Welcome to our podcast, Baskets of Knowledge, Chats with a Difference. In our podcast, we invite guests from around the country and around the world to talk about how they got to where they are at the moment. It's about a journey, it's about an experience, it's about their life. Kia ora everybody. Welcome to another episode of Baskets of Knowledge. Again, like I say, I have no idea what number we're on, so um, <laughs> it's just another episode. Um, unfortunately, Tane can't join us today. He's not feeling well, um, so you just have me and you have my amazing guest. And as always, you know, we try and go around the country and around the world to pick up and talk to people that we think are pretty fantastic with some great stories. And today's guest is... Um, no different, um, an amazing person who I'm sure will learn a lot from in today's episode. Uh, welcome to our podcast, Natasha. Natasha, Tash, what should we call you on the podcast? What would you like us to call you? Uh, Tash is good. Or if you if you really want to get close, you can call me Tish Tosh. That my, my Tish, father used to Tish. call me when I was little. But <laughs> Tash is good. Tash is good. I'll say Tash, Tash. I'll call you legend. I don't know which everyone Tash. You've been called them. goat a lot recently, but yeah, yeah, oh. legend is good too. Yeah, we'll, we'll go through that as we as we go through the session. Tash, do you want to tell our listeners just a bit about who you are at the moment, and then we'll get into your your story. Jeez, mm, yeah. Well, kia ora e koma, um, ko Tash tokuingwa, um, no te fenua o papa tuanuku aho. Um, I'm much, I'm very much a wee seed, a wee kākano in in understanding who I am and where I root. Um, and um, so my name is Tash. I am from, I am from the earth, um, most simply, and on an exploration of of finding out more about my connection. Um, I was originally born in the UK, um, in the south of England, and I travelled here when I was a wee, a wee tamariki, um, moved to Waiheke Island, had a barefoot childhood there, um, and then I've done a lot of flying around. Um, Tauranga, lived in, in Ecuador, um, back here, um, Otago University, over to Mexico, Central America, uh, and now I'm here um, again in Otipoti. Um, but I am a, I am a fierce, curious adventurer. Um, I am a transformer. I am a, I am an intimacy instigator. And I am a rainbow. Yes, that is who I am. Beautiful. What an amazing, amazing description of yourself. And I think there's so much there for us to delve into. And I think the first area we're going to talk about is um, let's talk about your upbringing in Waikiki Island as a, you know, like you said, a bare, a barefooted Waikiki Island, which then links back to the fact that you said that you're from the earth. So has this um, the strong link to the earth? been something that's been part of your whole life or something that you as you started exploring you realized actually wait a minute there's a lot more than just the material and the physical world that we see in front of us mm, um super good part i um i've always been very curious about the earth and i remember further back from wahiki when i was in the uk loving the natural world. Um, I grew up with a, a father who was uh, one of his one of the one of the very beautiful things that um, gifted to us um, as a parent was um, he was very adamant that we wouldn't lose our imaginations. He, um, our imaginations were our superpower, um, and so every full moon we would write to the fairies, and they lived in our garden. And every time I went to someone someone else's fare, um, their garden was what excited me the most. And I would go explore and see if I could find um, nooks and crannies or other things living there. Um, and I also really loved my mum's veggie patch. Um, definitely moving to Waiheke was, I remember, um, and it's funny, I was only eight, but obviously... Um, I don't know what I thought I was playing out, maybe a scene from a movie, but I remember landing in New Zealand and just looking around and physically pinching myself and being like, where am I? And to move then to a tiny island off off of um, Auckland 
in the Hauraki Gulf. And in the first week, we lived just up from Palm Beach. And in the first week of living there, um, there was a pod of dolphins in the bay. And then a couple of days later, there was two orca um, playing with like a frisbee, um, a, a stingray. And I was, as an eight-year-old, I was just thinking, oh my gosh, where the heck have we moved? Um, I feel that in, in my journey, I guess, from that point onwards, as a, as a, as a wee as a we person, our connection to all life is much more expansive. Um, and I, as a lot of people and as a lot of communities and cultures, um, and I guess as attractive, the culture from which I'm from, um, we started connected and there's a, a, a violent kind of suppressing of our own connection to other people's and a, and a really deep forgetting. So even in my own journey of nearly 26 years, I was very connected and felt very drawn to. And then um, as I kind of forgot myself, I also forgot how I was connected. Um, and it's only really been, if I'm completely honest, only really been in the last two years that um, I've come back home to myself. And part of that journey has been um, remembering how connected I am to, <clears throat> to Papa Tuanuku and feeling much more earthed, which is cool. Yeah, and I, and I love how you say that because you know, when we when we're growing up, every one of us has imagination. You know, we we grow up with imagination, and at some point in our life, it becomes oh, you can't think about that kind of stuff. It's eerie, fairy, and it's pretty crazy how something switches where you go from hey, anything's possible in the world, to I'm limited by, by again, it's your mind. So at one mm -hmm. stage your imagination is wide open, and the next stage it's just the same thing that had the power to give you the thoughts and now it's now blocking you. Do you remember the time where that where that started transitioning? Was it when you started going to school and you have to start conforming to say mainstream ideas? Um was that was that a point or was it just hey a natural progression when you know, hey, it's just shifted a little bit? I Hmm. As my therapist says, when something comes to your mind, even if it seems unrelated, share it because it's probably somehow related. Um, I'm thinking of a memory of I was in um I had moved to Tauranga and I was in um I was in intermediate. I went from very small small village primary school in the UK to small um island primary school on Waikiki to the biggest intermediate in the entire country as a year seven and eight. So um quite a big shift um and i remember being in year eight and we had some kind of assignment we were doing and i've always been a question asker i've always been curious um and i remember that the, the teacher kind of gave us this assignment but in a very uh, there was there was almost like no container kind of way just like do this um and i remember going up to my teacher and asking them a, a bunch more questions to get some clarity on what it what what it actually was we were doing um and I remember getting quite strongly reprimanded for asking so many questions um and I remember being very confused about that memory for a long time and it's only been recently resitting with it that I realized that the reason I was asking so many questions is because I had suddenly realized that I couldn't just do anything I wanted or I couldn't take this assignment where my imagination could take it. There was these invisible set, invisible set rules that I was expected to kind of just know and comply with, but I didn't know them. And so what I was asking the questions was like, what are the rules? Tell me the rules because I know you're going to mark me on the rules. So tell me what they are so I can do it in the way that you want me to, because I know that if I just did it off of my own volition, off my own imagination, I would get reprimanded. So what I was trying to do was trying to get it right within the rules because I'd suddenly realized as a small person that there were there was this kind of structure um which is uh which is really interesting so i think i i feel that from kind of that point onwards once you realize that once you realize that there's 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 this container on your imagination or your uniqueness or your way of showing up in the world um 
is there um and then as as a as a we as a we person you know you you want to be accepted you want to be you want to do things quote unquote right um so you start to conform to those um invisible not so invisible rules yeah and it's crazy because it's not also just a wee person it was an adult lots of adults want to conform to be liked mm. or to conform to society and over the last few years i've also been um exploring this um this phrase that i read somewhere called the culture scape um mm. and the culture scape that is that is defined for us for our beliefs whatever it is and within the culture scape one of the key things that i learned that i read about was something called rules b-r-u-l-e-s and in your word, they're basically invisible rules, which this author says they're called rules or bullshit rules. <laughs> these these yes. rules that have been created by the culture scape that we grew up in that we just try to conform because we think this is what we have to do. You know, for example, as a, as a wee child there, you have to go, right, cool. You said you can do anything, but actually anything doesn't mean anything, right? It's, there's something that, and then if, as we grow older, you know, we have these rules that you study you go to university if you want to but you know university is a place for you to go to and then you find a partner and you get married and you build a house and you have kids and you buy it and this is, this is the rules that the culture scape has given us mm. and when you don't do that um society goes hey you are not living your best life because you're not ticking these boxes here so it's really interesting because the stuff that you say resonates really really strongly with me as i started exploring this area and it's quite sad because a lot of us live in this this world without knowing we just do mm. it because we have to, or we think we have to, sorry, we think we have to. Um, it's awesome that as, as a young person, but then that goes on to how many young people in the world today are feeling that, and then their life just changes dramatically in some cases because they have to live in these in the space here. So you did this here, which is, which, you know, you changed it a little bit and that's that's all good. And did you go to Ecuador after um, Waiheke, or sorry, after Taranga, or did you go to university first? I did, so I finished high school in yeah. in Tauranga and then um yeah a gap year a year off was traveling was something that I was always going to do I was um I was very privileged growing up that I mean apart from and within moving out to to Aotearoa um did do a lot of exploring and had the privilege of doing travel as a as a as a young person um so had my sights set on on doing a gap year um and wanted to do it with some kind of intention um yeah. and it's now yeah my <laughs> i look back on um all of the iterations of tash and to be fair, some of them might not even be friends. Some of them might not even like each other, um, which I think is fun. Um, and within within what I knew at that time and within who I was at that time, um, um, I decided to go and volunteer overseas. So it was through a company um, and I had a, uh, I stayed with a, a family in, in Ecuador and I worked in um, a we school for um, people of all ages with disabilities, um, neurological or, or physical. And it was a school that was focused on 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 practical skills. So all of apart from the very very young tamariki. Um, everyone else within the school either was in like the painting room or the woodwork room or the uh, ceramic room, the bakery. Um, and they would make these, these pieces of craft and then sell them to fund the continued education um, of the, continued to fund the school. And then I also worked in an afternoon uh, care center for, for, um, for other Tamariki. And I did that for about six months and then did um, a couple months of travel down through Peru, Bolivia, and a bit of Chile, and then ended up back in the UK for four months to spend some time with family before I came back for uni. Oh, crazy. What, a, what an awesome experience that would have been. And I'm just going to take you right back a little bit. You know, when you were a, a young a young Wittamariki landing in New Zealand, oh, dolphins and orcas, great. 
what is it like for I guess 17 or 18 year old Harsh to land in Ecuador what is the impression there take myself back um something that I'm very much sitting with now I I love the edge um yeah. I love I love the unknown um and I can see where I've chased that maybe without much consciousness or intentionality previously um so for me um and I just felt like another day in, in, in my life, really. Um, I, you know, we, we landed in, in Quito and was staying in, again with a host family doing two weeks of intensive Spanish. Um, and big, big city, lots of, lots of dogs going off. Um, and I remember, um, a, a new friend at that point who I now live with and is a is one of my dear dear soul friends and we we met um at the airport before oh, wow. before coming uh you know 24 hours before and um she was staying at the same family and she came into my room in the middle of the night um very overwhelmed and we just sat there and we hugged and kind of washing over ourselves you know what we'd done and where we were um and my, I feel like I said, because I'm sitting in a very similar place now. Um, and I guess retrospectively looking back at it as that kind of just that kind of dancing on, on the, on the kind of cliff edge. Um, and just curious. Um, I guess it within that space, I had quite a bit of quite a bit of structure so th there was a, a a program or a format that I was going to step into um but mostly just curious mostly just what's this going to be like yeah and it's, it's it's crazy because it's so so different to the UK and to New Zealand you know even though they're they're different they're very very similar in the cultural context and when you go to South America and you land in a place where hey the cultural context that you have growing up in this part of the world is Run out the window. Just mm. thanks for coming. See you later. And it, it reminds me when I came from Africa to New Zealand, I just switched my mind because I grew up in noise and bustle and sound. And, you know, it was just very busy and everyone was doing things. And I landed in Dunedin and I was like, oh, it's a little bit different. <laughs> and I still, I still remember to this day, it's been how many years. And I still remember when I landed in Dunedin, the biggest controversy at that point in time was they were building the Mitre 10. And the city was in uproar because there was going to be a bright orange building, and which is going to spoil the the cityscape. And I was like, "Wow, where have I come?" You know. Um, so you know, it's it's pretty crazy. And you know, like you know, like you say, in those first few days and first few moments, um, you, it sinks in, and you go, "Oh, where have I come?" And then there's two ways to address this. You go, "Man, I, this is terrible," and turn back and head back home. Mm. Or you go, I'm just going to embrace this and see what happens and, and and grow from it. And it's but it's hard at that point in time. Definitely, I um, I had always had, like I said, been very privileged to have parents who valued, um, valued the the input and the learning from and learning with different cultures as I grew up. Um, and we did a lot of um. Uh, my dad did a lot of couch surfing, so every time I went to his house, there was there were there were new people from different places traveling through and staying for one night or a week, and um, so my uh, exposure, even within you know even within countries like the UK and 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 Aotearoa, well, my exposure to other cultures and other places and people and ways of life was quite high, um, yeah. so. I'm, I was very, yeah, I, I was very privileged in in that sense. And um, so I guess was able to hold myself um, through a lot of that change um, differently to other people because of that experience previous. Yeah, and I guess that that helps and also helps, helps your soul friend at the moment because you have someone that's actually gone through this and those skills and those learnings that you have are just there. 
because they're now part of you, even though you don't you don't realize it. And you go, wait a minute, this is actually pretty cool. So you live this amazing life and experience in Ecuador at that point in time. Um, then you went to the UK, and now you've done your gap year. It's time to go to university. Now going from doing what you want to do, what is it like for you to go? Was was university always on your mind, or was there something that that came up as you were doing your um, your gap year? Um, definitely always on my mind. I I have always I had always um, I guess even more so when I learned to play the rules um, thrived within the within the mainstream academic system which is also a privilege and also that kind of early recognition of these rules um, and the ability to conform to them in a way that worked to my privilege. Um, so, and I did, I also was that my curiosity as a kid, um, I was able to then channel that into um, that kind of learning system. So I, I loved kind of intellectual pursuit um so university was definitely always on the cards um otago was never always on the cards um <clears throat> i like to say well yeah again they privileged they bribed me to come down here and even the the high bribe was not enough initially to make me go yes i'm definitely going but my mum was definitely like yes you're definitely going i can't afford to send you to university um yeah. without without this um so i i was definitely going to go to to auckland or, or vic i remember sitting in the uk having a um, a list of like, oh, what should I choose? And then I suddenly got this email from Otago and I was on a video call with my mom at the time. And I got an email and it's gonna, it's, it's gonna sound, str it does, it does sound strange. Um, but I remember getting the email saying, oh, you know, congratulations, we'd love to award you this scholarship. And I was on the phone to my mom, I was like, ah, oh, fuck them. I don't want to go to their university. Um, and mum was like, well, like, hold your horses, you know, what is it and how much, more importantly, how much is yeah. it for? Um, uh, because, yeah, money played quite a negative role in my in my upbringing. Um, and I looked on the website and I was like, oh, <laughs> uh, 45 grand. And mum was just like, um, so, yeah, I was, I was, and in a lot of ways, there have been, there's been so many synchronicities and cosmic collisions in my life. And, and that was, um, that was a big one. Um, and I had other explanations for it at that point in my life. Um, yeah. and yeah, the offer I couldn't refuse. So like you said, I hadn't, I'd never been to Dunedin before coming down here. So I got back from the UK. Um, I wasn't in, in the best space after my gap year. Um, I, um I had gone away um but I I didn't know who I was um and I was pretty lost and in quite a dark space um and that kind of running away from self didn't had hasn't really changed to be fair until like the last two years um so was hopeful that um, I'd come back to to New Zealand and go to university and it, the, the dark clouds would all kind of roll away and they kind of do at first when you go to a different place um they, it, you you catch up to yourself um but anyway landed in in Otipoti well landed in a field and I was yes. thinking what the fuck this is supposed to be the fourth whatever fifth biggest city settlement in New Zealand and yeah what is going on um and yeah I got to got to Dunedin and had enrolled in I was doing law um law politics and Spanish which is in the end what I graduated with as well um and that was yeah a shock I um I loved loved university loved also the the papers that I got to choose I remember the first paper at uni was a 
philosophy, philosophy 101 paper. And I'm like, this is the kind of thinking that I came to university for this kind of expansive, critical, creative thinking. And um, it was with a lecturer called Lisa Ellis, who's also the tit. She's so awesome. Would definitely recommend anyone taking papers um, by her at uni. Um, and that was definitely, I mean, throughout my whole degree, there was this kind of continuous tug of war between the the authentic Tash that wanted to be listened to and break out, and the 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 conforming or the the patterns that I had created to to help me survive and thrive, but there were that but that were actually really damaging me. Um, so my whole degree was kind of this this tug of war um and again went did a bit of running away from myself a flying away with with beautiful intention and much um much exploration to um to mexico for a, for an exchange in my fourth year so i was away um i yeah kind of seemingly to everyone else in my life kind of just went and pulled the middle fingers and, and jetted off um and spent two months traveling solo through Central America and then spent five months at uni in, in Mexico City and then a month in the middle of the Costa Rican jungle um doing a work away with a with a family um and then yeah came back to Aotearoa and finished my last year and a half of uni there's so much to, to dive into there so <laughs> you go so much there and I, you know i like the first thing i touch on is when you landed in the field that resonates exactly how i felt when i landed in dunedin i was like little country zimbabwe coming to first of new zealand landed in dunedin i was like why are the cows here why are they cows here why is the airport the size where have i come what have i done and you know driving whatever 27 kilometers to get to the university i was like what is what is this um, I remember calling my parents with the with the phone card at that time, going, I landed in the field. And they're like, What? I think there's Are been a sure? mistake. <laughs> exactly. What's going on? <laughs> so I resonate and I feel that so much as when you say that. Um, really, really funny. So um you 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 go through this journey here where you are um battling yourself, real versus authentic. Uh, authentic is real, but the, the mask, the mask versus the real. Mm. Um, when you went over to Mexico, was that, did, is this when you started finding your real self a bit more or was there still a mask in that? Actually, let's go back one one step. Why did you choose Mexico? You know, you have exchange, you can go anywhere in the world, essentially. Um, you've already been to, to South America in your own experience. Is there a pull towards that part of the world in those cultures or was there another reason, if you don't mind sharing? Uh definitely a pull towards um that part of the world um my dad as well has strong connections with um central and south america and had done a lot of travel through mexico um so potentially um a way to further connect with with my dad as well as doing exploration for myself um and I also was excited to dive further into um, speaking Spanish. And um, what I didn't quite, um, I guess, an unintended, especially within that part of the world, unintended learnings around the indigenousness um, and the indigenous knowledge, knowing and magic and ways of being within within that part of the world. Um, a which of which I'd had uh, experience with, um, which is where m my dad's um, connections link in. Um, but I also, I guess, I also <laughs> again, I kind of, I, I think, I confuse a lot of people in my life, especially not not so much now because I do less of the conforming um but it I I could switch quite quickly between conforming and rebelling um which had people kind of like in a bit of a spin um and I do I have always enjoyed proving the conforming wrong um 
and by rebelling um but i i was i got frustrated because i had i you could see the narratives that were peddled within pakiha european um spaces about other parts of the world and their the people and their value and um and what it's like there and a bunch of it is controlling fear mongering um and kind of like um objectification and um mechanisms for i don't know um bolstering of of, of self or this non-culture culture of whiteness um and so i even in my even in my gap year um people just you'd see people's eyes when i said what i had done or what i was about to do and it was the same when i said you know people were like oh cool you're going to exchange and they kind of expect you to say you're going to i don't know going to europe or or something um and i said i'm going to mexico city and their first reaction was always like oh um this dangerous like you know are you sure you want to do that as like a young white woman and i just i would i'd turn around and be like what do you mean by that yeah. and what what information has been fed to you for you to have that narrative and and who do you think that that's actually really harming um and so it was kind of this and it, yeah you can you can anything can happen to you anyway i'm not saying that i was then just like um willy-nilly kind of um rose-tinted glasses yeah. um but it was it was this kind of it was this kind of embodied show of like kind of check yourself to the people around me that these places and these people have ways of being and ways of life that are um incredibly like much more nuanced than than the the narratives yeah. that are peddled in, in our spaces in Pakya spaces um show and the part that that our history and our whakapapa plays in a lot of those those spaces is, is huge um in in the colonial um violence and, and mistreatment and how that now shows up in these in, in these societies in modern day um and so it was kind of this like kind of a bit of like a well I'm going to show you <laughs> that it's actually that if you don't if you don't explore with curiosity and empathy and the willingness to 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 learn from everyone and everything then you're going to live a very sheltered and very boring life back in New Zealand and um yeah, and and I, and I and I love that shit because you know um, a lot of a lot of, a lot of people through no fault of their own apart from just not doing your own exploration being curious quickly judge you say you're from you go to Mexico oh dangerous you're from Zimbabwe oh dangerous oh, I heard about you know the racial inequality blah blah yeah but you're just hearing one narrative you don't hear you're not hearing the actual story you don't know what it's actually like mm-hmm. you know there's people living in these countries everywhere there's people living around the world and um. If the world was really a dangerous place everywhere you go, then you know it'd be a whole different different space. And I'm not saying some places are not dangerous, like you said. We don't live in a rose tinted glass world. There's some places in the world that are that are dangerous, but that doesn't mean that hey, just because they're dangerous, you shouldn't go there. You might you're just gonna have mm-hmm. awareness when you go there. I've made a choice to come here. I'm gonna be aware of that. But your judgment of that place shouldn't affect the way I do stuff. You know, and that's really mm-hmm. hard. Right? And that's that's across a lot of a lot of a lot of things in life actually. You know, people's judgment versus your actual and what you do Tosh, um so you have this you have this experience in mexico and there's lots i want to cover and what i want to talk about is um because i know the cool things that you do i'd love you to share about the so we're speaking about the academic side you know you say you're privileged to get a scholarship yes you're privileged but hey let's let's go with the fact that you you did the hard work you you, you work with the system you got you were acknowledged for the for the hard work the university's acknowledged that they said all right cool Come along, we're gonna bribe you and come come so talk. Come <laughs> along, you have that experience. But while you're at university, something started becoming more and more your passion, you know. So you have your academic side, which we all go through. And one of the things I keep saying in this podcast is universities, whichever university you go to in this in the world, is the greatest learning happens out of the classroom, not in the classroom. And for you, what are your what is what are your passion areas that started coming to the fore that that you now go, hey, this is where I am. I'm a champion for this because I believe with my heart 
I know that there's this tons here. Mm. It definitely, um, it definitely developed. Um, and I think <clears throat> I, I thought about it a lot um, at uni, particularly in, um, like I said, there were kind of seeds that were dropped in, with papers and, and that first philosophy paper through to, and I did law and there's a lot of conforming in law and a lot of, um, um, a lot of structure and a lot of hierarchy and a lot of privilege. Uh, and even within my law degree, I chose the kind of law and papers, which everyone's like, oh, lesser law papers. I'm like, mm, like, you know, um, when, and I remember doing jurisprudence. It was in my fifth year where I really jam-packed my learning with things that made me come alive. Um, and um, I took jurisprudence in my last year, which is a compulsory law paper, four-year law paper, and for most people, they're just like, I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, I don't like it. And I just have to do it. Um, but what I loved, I it was my favorite law paper. And if I say that to other law students, they just look at me like I'm just the most bizarre human to walk the planet. <clears throat> and they, the thing, the thing that I loved about it is that I just spent five years learning how to operate within the structure. And then here was a paper that was just dismantling the whole structure and I thought go fucking at it I was like yes do it like and I loved it it was the the to the extent that the system can 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 be critical of itself it did and it, it really did make you what it off what it did it was it offered you to think more about it it didn't necessarily demand you be radical but it offered this space of um of deconstruction and of of critical thinking and creative thinking and and feeling within a system that is very analytical and very like objectified and and it, it profits off us not being connected um and alongside that I took um I took another paper which was super formative um was another Lisa Ellis paper actually the the second Lisa Ellis paper that I ever took. Um, so she bookmarked kind of my more expansive university experience. Um, and it was law, nature, and the state. And it was all about how our different connections between humans and all other beings and the planet and our societal structure shapes each other so how we set ourselves up in a societal structure affects how we affect ourselves and the planet and and these underlying underlying kind of narratives and and ways of being that permeate through societal structures and um and I like I, I loved it and for the first time I I remember reading a paper that within within the kind of the semester and that the required readings probably was a kind of I don't know if anyone I'm not quite sure what her intention was but it was a paper it was a it was a recount of someone who was in Australia and was going on a kind of um uh canoeing expedition and um obviously lots of lots of crocs and um one morning set out kind of on a solo um canoe up the up some of the um water systems and she's recounting as a a survivor of a of being attacked by a croc and 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 what do they call it death rolled multiple yes. times and, and walking away um well maybe not walking um but <laughs> coming away from it alive and being able to recount the story. And um, she, what I found most interesting in her recount and most moving, moving is probably a more apt word, um, was that she starts to recognize that before she was attacked, she was, she was connected to a system 
that was telling her she was in danger. But we have so long, as humans particularly, suppressed our feeling selves to elevate our thinking selves and to give all power to our analytical um, minds that she she just she just muted this flashing red light that, and these not not just this feeling but there was like she almost she she recounts seeing kind of omens in 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 the rock as she as she paddled past that everything else in her body was saying you know you're in danger you need to you need to leave or turn back or um yeah. um but her mind kind of just 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 nullified or made made them seem made them seem stupid um and it then wasn't and then I I I left university and I still left uni as very much I'd done a lot of work but I'd done a lot of work in my head um so I'd made you know even in my own journey and my own self-healing and even within societal issues of which wove into myself and of which I affect as well. Um, I had, I had kind of outsmarted them. I just made them make sense in my head and then said, Oh, well, I've dealt with them that it's fine. Um, And I left university and I left this very brain powered space. And it wasn't until uh beginning of last year and i um it's it's strange because my university journey has has really only continued um now working here in the social impact studio that i found the space to start actually feeling these um to feel what i was learning instead of just thinking about um and to make them real in in myself um and I really feel that that <laughs> I'm coming in a circular way back to your question in in the sense of I my own journey has made me realize what makes me excited and what makes my soul come alive is is to be a a shake shit upper in the way that that moves people to embody themselves and to feel um and to to feel our way through through that healing both as selves as as communities and as like and as larger society and larger society societal structures um i heard a, a, a kind of quote the other day that um expression is the only antidote to repression and i'm sure that rings rings true for so many for all people um in whether we have been whether we have experiences both the the repressor and the repressee which most of us do um and i found that whichever and not that i have a um a kind of limited way in what that in in the way that might manifest but my passion what makes me come alive is creating spaces for people to start expressing and start feeling. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. But... That, that totally had that, that, that is a fantastic um, dive into the way you have, you have gone through your journey, because I think a lot of people just think, and through no fault of theirs, that the journey is, is a straight line. You know, even though, even though we know that the journey in life is not a straight line in our minds, like we say, our logical mind goes, Hey, everything should be a straight line. And I, and I like what you said there about feeling versus the logical mind. And, you know, you've probably heard this saying before that anything only has meaning because of the meaning you give to it. And mm-hmm. in in this in the story you gave about the the person the crocodile, the meaning the person would have given was, hey, my logical mind saying it's safe, so I'm going to go with that. There, there's other stuff here. I'm not going to listen to it. And a lot of us do that. There, we just give things the meaning that we give. We want the meaning to be, or we pre we preclude the outcome. You know, mm. we go, I want this to happen, therefore I'm going to ignore everything else that's that's saying no, 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 no. And because this is the way, and it's it's different. It's different to other people saying no versus you saying no. And I think this is where we would get caught up. A lot of people won't listen to themselves, but they'll listen to other people. And you know, I like the way you say, "Hey, expression is the is a, is the best way to counteract repression because that's where it starts." You know, 
because the repression could just be other people saying no to your dreams and your ideas. And you just say, okay, cool, I'm not going to do that. Whereas when you don't listen to yourself, your own expression, then you become your own repressor. You know, so mm. it, it's a pretty crazy way. And I love the way that you talk about that. And it goes back right to the one word that stuck out for me when you first when you introduced yourself was you're a transformer. And that's, that's really, really powerful because um, the world needs disruptors and transformers. Otherwise, we're just going to keep going in the straight line mm. because the straight lines have been drawn for us. But sometimes you need someone to say, hey, what, what about this other road here? And you need you need someone to just steer people. You know, um, like I said before, we, we don't have roast in the glasses. We go through these places here and we go, right, cool. What is the intention of what we're doing? And I think that's really, really important. You know, the word intention has come through quite a few times today. And I think that's really important. Um, and we, a lot of us forget about intention. We do things just because. And sometimes you do things just because. But there should be some sort of intention as to why you're doing this here. Um, and now you're in Social Impact Studio. Let's talk about that there. So um, you mentioned, you know, the last two years has been a real transformation for you in finding yourself. Um, has that been linked to the Social Impact Studio work that you do? Or is it just, hey, Tasha has actually found who she is and this has fit into the Social Impact Studio work that you do? Both. Um, yeah. uh not much of life is unilateral. Um, exactly, yeah. uh, <laughs> I, oh goodness, yeah. I mean, my journey the last two years, I've never learned more in my entire life. Um, and I've never been more challenged. And I've never been more scared and also more excited to be here. Um, and some of those sometimes at the same time, um, I, it's hard to sum up and it seems strange because I will be in less than a month. I'll be wrapping up my time in this space, but I'm, I'm working on not leaving before I've left in all parts of my life. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been, like I said, it's been, it's been reciprocal both, um, and it didn't, it didn't particularly start. I think I was still, I was very much still locked in my head when I first started. Um, and it's been, there's been a, a quite an intense road of, of humility to really own myself and what that looks like and how that then ripples into, into the work, um, which is when you're working in, in a space that is, is transformative within a very transactional space. Um, finding the edges is, is really important and understanding where something ends and you begin or where you end and something else begins. Um, but then understanding how you kind of, you, you, you always are in a kind of dance with, with other, other things or other people's edges. Um, there's been, yeah, there's been a lot of learning. There's been a lot of kind of, um, on a on a kind of community or society or systemic level a lot of learning and but then but what's been really powerful is actually not just learning about that but feeling that not not only in the people like a, around us that we are like I'm privileged and humbled to to be in relationship with and learn from but also feeling it within myself and understanding how it affects me because what I'm really passionate about is that um particularly people who who are drenched in more privilege within a Pakeha um, system, a system of white supremacy, we have just gotten away with objectifying and, and um, mind spacing everything to the extent that we don't understand how it affects us or that we affect it too. So it's been a process of not only learning these things, but, but, but feeling them and then seeing how, you know, when you don't just, talk about things but you show up physically um in a way that's different how much more powerful that is than just espousing a bunch of fun sounding or good sounding or um powerful sounding words you know be it your values um you know the values of this space being creativity community collaboration and empathy and it's 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 been a real honor to see how much my own journey and my own 
remembering of self has enabled me to actually show up more powerfully in an embodied way in what those mean in the work that we do um and um constantly learning um and yeah it's been it's been it's been a wild ride i have been very privileged uh, as well that this space has this small glass box colorful glass box has um been kind enough to hold tash in all of what that has included over the last two years and i i i'm mihi and i deeply thank um sian and, and the teams student teams um in this physical space for allowing me to to really bring myself at each point in time to the work um which has been important the whole like personal professional thing i'm like if you if you're not there authentically as a person um regardless of whether it's a professional space or not the the power of your work is going to be supremely diluted like it's um so i've been able to show up personally for the work um and for myself which yeah i'm 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 leaving having come home to myself and realizing a lot of the more the the unique powers that i bring but also where um and how we can start unlocking that for other people and and seeing that occur for um students and other people around us is is really powerful um so yeah i love this work um weird and sad and excited all at the same time to to be wrapping up yeah, and I mean, I, as, a, as an outsider looking in, I am, you know, at the start, I said you're a legend because I've just seen the, the impact that you and your team as a, as a whole have had in the space here for young people. And I still remember when I was at the university, this, these spaces didn't exist. There was no space for young people to express freely how they were, how they're feeling, what they were going through um, in a safe space without being judged. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we all have judgment in some way, but it's different when it's a story that you're telling and everyone's going, hey, wait a minute, I'm sharing the same, not the whole story, but some parts of the story. And, you know, that's really awesome what you have as a team fostered there. Um, one question for you, though, you've done some amazing projects with Social Impact Studio. Is there any one project that you just, I know you, you, you can't pick, but I'm going to make you pick your favorite child here. Is there one project that you go, hey, this is, this is, this sits with me as, as an amazing achievement um, for you as a, as a person, not just running it, but also in your own growth? Uh, gosh, yeah, all of them. Um, <laughs> um, but I will, I will pick um, because life is just a bunch of choices. And so I will yep. choose. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I have to say that the one that makes me most proud or kind of i mean i I, it's i guess the culmination of it of it all and funnily enough the last big event that we did so um in in 3d time makes sense that it's going to be there like woo um but all in was a speaker night that collided race belonging and, and and well-being and Compared to, we always work on a hectic time frame um, in the social impact studio. Um, everyone else's late is our perfect timing, and everything is always up in the air. And um, we, it can be quite chaotic and quite unexpected, and works well for for us. And it also, you know, um, often it's the timeline that students work on as well. So, um, in in previous events, things have been kind of hard slog and it gets to the point where you're like what are we doing um but what i've realized is that when something is really needed the space just gets created and all you are is kind of a channel to make it happen so we'd just come off the back of a, of another huge feat agency was an was an awesome awesome event and i have never seen the link look that sexy impressive impressive the link is not a sexy space and it looks very cool um but 
agency was hard yakka to, to to pull together even though we knew the cold purple was really strong and really needed um and off the back of that we were kind of thinking oh shit we could give the funding money back um we were we were really generously funded by the ministry of ethnic communities to to host this event which says a lot about the the mana and what different spaces mehi the work that we do um despite the fact that they will probably never know exactly what their money is going to buy. Um, we, we, it was three weeks before the event, I think, that the last time we kind of said to each other, we could give the money back. Um, but it was just, it, it just, it needed to happen. And all we were was the kind of the committed channels to, to bring it to life. Um, uh, it, the people, our guests, the people to come and share their stories just kind of all went yes when previously we've had to, to try really hard to get people to come along um, to other events or it's been just complex. And this was just like, here you go. And um, even with, you know, student signups, it was just we had um, just under 120 students come oh, to wow. the event on a Tuesday night um, listening to people in a in mostly live podcast style of uh style um uh corridor share their story about uh and they were all um uh ethnic and, and migrant people in living in Aotearoa whether they were born here or or had um moved here when they were when they were younger um um they all also well um many of them also um homed other identities um be they within the rainbow community um or or otherwise that also wove into how they experience life and how they experience well-being and it was a a space to both acknowledge the um to give stage and amplify these stories that are not often celebrated and validated um within a mainstream well-being system that really i think profits off keeping us unwell but uh i'll keep that my political views um at bay for a hot second um but also so also one for our migrant ethnic um uh former refugee but also any one of of an identity that doesn't sit neatly neatly within the um the the, the playbook um to see these stories and to see these other ways of wellness and to see this like to see this like celebration and stage full of of, of story different stories um so for them to see themselves was powerful and then also for um Pakia students or people or, or people whose experiences do do for the most part fit the playbook or they maybe haven't even thought about whether their story fits the playbook or not which in itself is a privilege and they might actually find that it doesn't um yeah. which is which is then a hard journey to go through for themselves but to see to to also one have yourself validated and also to be curious and learn from other people's stories and um I'm like got goosebumps. Our speakers were just, our guests were were incredible. Um, we had, um, yeah, we had Sydney Wong who um is an Autotahi and and co-chairs um Qtopia, um and is a is an out and and proud um uh, queer Cantonese um guy. We had um Chai Ling who does a lot within um proudly Asian theater so a, a creative and and um and 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 biracial within herself and talked a lot about um the the intersection or the way that these kind of systemic narratives and, and societal structures show up in our even our intimate relationships and, and the way we um who we have sex with who we're in relationships with um and then we had TJ and Takunda, um, who both um fucker papa back to Zimbabwe and them sharing their stories about um oh my goodness, they they talked to each other and all of the conversations just kind of roller coastered through just this like just so much 
heartfelt honesty so much like you sat back in your chair and you're just like shit and then you're belly laughing and you're just like being taken on this trip by real stories and they yeah shared their stories of of racism and assimilation and how they felt like you know finding their strength within themselves and their 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 culture and felt that celebration and also grief um and it was it was a deep deep privilege to have been a cog in in a channel through which that event was brought to life especially as a um as a a young uh queer pakya woman and to to see the diversity of the students that were at the event and there i don't i don't i don't know i don't i don't know of any other event that's ever been hosted at uni that looked like that um and in in many of those spaces the aesthetic does matter um and i just you know if you told me when i first you know dunedin is still a, a very white place so for for um a non pakya students they i can i can only imagine what it's like to come down here and be like what the fuck um yeah. and so to to have had the experience where i was the fish who didn't realize that the water existed when i first started uni to then no matter how much cultural exposure i'd had as a, as a young person i was still drenched in 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 that whiteness not even realizing that that existed then at the end of the journey be part of creating these spaces and and feeling in myself why they matter and why they're powerful um plus i love hosting events because then i get like four new epic friends um and we went out for uh, for a cocktail at pequeño with them afterwards and i just like it was so much fun um and it was like it was so powerful and i'm really really proud of um that was all within the face value co-papa um within silver line um and it was yeah it was about celebrating and giving stage to different life experiences that that in which well-being can look and feels very different and how we um how we both challenge a system that is very white and also um makes make more space for 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 those experiences um so yeah i'd have to say that yeah definitely that was that will be a, a highlight for the rest of my life i think or a very pivotal thing for my life that's um that's such a beautiful shit and i i and, I, and the passion and the um the excitement and the goosebumps that you share is um is really quite quite telling and it's also because you provided a platform for these young people to actually share their stories and i think what what we find is people everyone has a story everyone in our life has a story and sometimes when you go to a platform the platform dictates the story that you have to tell but in this in this scenario you're like hey this is the platform you tell the story and we will listen and I think that's that's the best way. I mean, fantastic! That that's amazing. And um, yeah, I hope that 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 model gets extended to other spaces as well. You know, you said it's the first time at a university. Maybe it gets extended to other spaces because it's not just about a university experience. I also love your reference to David Foster Wallace's "Fish in the Water." Fantastic, beautiful, <laughs> <laughs> um, brilliant. Um, I guess before we can keep talking, but um, we've been speaking for almost forty um, one hour fifteen minutes, and um. We both got to go to work, I think. But I I have learned so much today and there's so much in your story and your narrative that we could deep dive in tons and tons and tons. But what I would like to ask you is, um, this is a question that we we don't tell our list our guests before because we like to put them on the spot. Our podcast, as you know, is Baskets of Knowledge. And every week we ask our guests if they could provide one piece of knowledge that our listeners could put into their basket of, basket of knowledge, what would that be? What would your piece of knowledge be? I had a beautiful piece of of Matauranga shared with me um, a couple of days ago, and it was about the the real puku to the meaning of 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 fakarongo which you know rongo is to hear and fakarongo is to listen the, the the kind of active version and 
in the the black and white translation in English, we've kind of violently narrowed that to just your ears and just your 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 ability to hear. But fakarongo really means to tune in with all of your senses. Um, and I feel it beautifully kind of weaves together parts of of my story, my experience, and what we've talked about. Um, my my tidbit to put in 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 someone's kete is to is to really fakarongo. Um, firstly, to to yourself, to fakarongo, to tune into yourself. Um, and and when you do that, you start tuning into to everything else. Um, and then to find small ways to to begin to express that to start to not only feel it but allow it to 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 come out um and i do recognize that you do have to consider where what places are safe for you to do that when you start um that journey but fakarongo turn in with all your senses um and find people and places where you can start expressing that um and unlocking um parts of yourself that that have been repressed for a long time and, and do that with kindness and do that with love and curiosity yep beautiful what a, what a great way to to wrap the podcast because i think you know all your stories you shared today is there's been a misalignment in humanity without with Fakarongo. we're not tuning into ourselves we're tuning into other things but we're only hearing what we're going to hear we see what we want to see so that is a fantastic fantastic um Thing that I'm going to bring to my kids as well. So thank you for sharing that. Um, Tosh, Tish Tosh, legend, the goat, uh, fantastic. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Um, like I said before, our listeners, I'm sure, will learn a lot. I've learned a lot. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for your time. And I appreciate you. To everyone out there, hopefully you've picked up something today. If you haven't, then why not listen to the podcast again? You'll find something. Um, as always, feel free to like, share, comment um, with our podcast. Till next time, kakite and take care, everybody. Thank you for listening to Bastards of Knowledge. Yeah, we hope that you found something useful to put into your Bastards of Knowledge. And as we said before, remember to put something little into your Bastards of Knowledge every week. And as always, feel free to like, comment, and share this podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye.